Our second reading comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. The Lord God's Spirit is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify Himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Foreigners will stay and shepherd your sheep, and strangers will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the priests of the Lord, ministers of our God, they will say about you. You will feed on the wealth of nations and fatten yourself on their riches. Instead of shame, their portion will be double. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wages and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offsprings will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because He has clothed me with cloths of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom in a priestly crown, and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth and as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, We've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Shortly before Thanksgiving, Heather and I had to go to town center for something. And we went into a couple of stores and three or four of them, and at least half of them were playing Christmas music. And this was before Thanksgiving. Christmas music creeps earlier and earlier, and now it's even crept before Thanksgiving. But there is one steadfast of hope, one area that remains sacred, and that's Christmas movies. 
No place shows Christmas movies until after Thanksgiving. Hallmark and Lifetime wait until after Thanksgiving to show, start their 12 Nights of Christmas or whatever catchy theme they might have come up with that year. And recently, a friend asked me, what is my favorite Christmas movie? And that is a, a complicated question. Because it depends on what your criteria for a Christmas movie is. Is it something that just has to take place during Christmas? If so, the movie is obviously Die Hard. <laughs> or possibly Gremlins. Is it one where a Christmas is an essential character, so to say, such as National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Elf, or Scrooged? Finally, I decided on the one that Heather and I watch every year when we decorate tree, when we wrap the presents, and it's the movie Love Actually. I see several heads nodding. It's a a series of vignettes about different people. It all takes place around Christmas, and it's about people falling in love and in these complicated relationships. And there's one character named Alan Rickman, named Harry. And it's funny, because Alan Rickman is also in Die Hard, so he might be the key to good Christmas movies. But Harry is a businessman, he's married, has two kids, and his secretary at work is trying to start a relationship with him. And she drops little hints about what he's getting for Christmas and says that he should get her something sparkly. So one day, him and his wife are shopping at the store, and he sees this necklace and he starts to buy it, and then he, the, shop, or the, the clerk says, would you like it gift-wrapped? And Harry's in a hurry because he knows his wife is somewhere around there. He's like, yes, please. Uh, and so he goes through this big ordain, uh, sprinkling different herbs in the bag and putting mistletoe and a fig of holly, and it's just taking forever, and Harry's getting more impatient. And his wife walks up just as he slips it in his pocket. And she doesn't see it, but later that day she reaches into his pocket and she sees the necklace in this box. And she's so excited because every year he's gotten her a scarf for Christmas. Later in the movie, her and the kids and him gather around the Christmas tree to open one present. And she says, oh, I want to open this one, grabbing the the box that's shaped like the one the necklace is in. And she opens it and finds it's a CD from her favorite artist. And you could see in a moment the realization on her face and the disappointment and the heartache as she realizes that that beautiful piece of jewelry was for someone else, for another woman. And she's crushed. She's devastated. She's disappointed. I think these feelings that she feels are only a fraction of what the Israelites felt. The past few weeks we've talked about the Israelites before they were exiled and after they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire and they were taken into captivity and they were forced out of Jerusalem. And there they longed to return to home. There they longed for the good old days that they thought would never come again. And then finally... Finally, the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire and the Persian king Cyrus declared that all the exiles should return home. And so the Jewish people went back to Jerusalem with gusto. And they got there. And they experienced heartache, disappointment, 
devastation. They experienced such a feeling of loss. The town had been demolished. The temple destroyed. It was nothing like they'd been remembered, or a lot of these were the next generation, so it's not like they'd been told about. Thomas Wolfe once wrote, you can't go home again, because once you leave home, there's a loss of innocence, and things change. Things always seem so much better in retrospect. Recently, I've been going to Netflix and finding cartoons I loved as a children. And a few weeks ago, I decided to turn on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And that show is terrible. It makes no sense at all, but I loved it as a kid. And before I'd watched it, I would have told you it was a great show. Because things are so much better in retrospect. And that's how it was for the Jewish people. They returned to a home that was probably never as great as they perceived it to be. They returned to a home that was destroyed, demolished, was nothing like they were promised. Then they began squabbling and fighting with each other and trying to decide how to rebuild and if they should rebuild and what it should look like. And they mourned. They mourned the loss of what was. They mourned the loss of what might never have been. And they longed for a day when everything would be better. And that's the context which Isaiah speaks today. Isaiah sees the people of Jerusalem mourning, crying out, hurting. And so he speaks of a better day to come. He says, the Lord has appointed me. I'm to bring good news to the poor. Release to the captives. I'm to bring a reversal of fortunes. I'm to tell you that Jerusalem will rise up again. I'm to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now the year of the Lord's favor sounds good, but we don't realize how good it is. When Isaiah says the year of the Lord's favor, he is talking about the Jubilee year. A year wrote in the Mosaic Code that was to happen every 50 years when all debts would be erased. All people sold into bondage would be returned to their families. All land would return to its original owner. It was kind of a reset year. There's no indication in history that the Jubilee year ever happened. But it was supposed to happen every 50 years. And Isaiah says that is happening. Everything is going to return to how it was. There is hope. God is still working. I'm bringing good news to you. And it was good news that the people so desperately needed to hear. Last week I told you about the movie Lord of the Rings and talked about Frodo and Sam. And I cringed a little bit this week when I was going through my study notes from a couple months ago and I had with a big star behind it another reference from Lord of the Rings. I thought if I'd known that I wouldn't have talked about it last week. (laughs) But during the movie Frodo and Sam, the hobbits, the homebodies, 
and their friends Mary and Pippin, they get through these dark times by imagining what it's like you know, to return to the Shire, to return to their home. They long for the day when this adventure will end, when it will be over, and they could just go back to the peace and the restfulness of home. Finally, they complete their mission. They destroy the evil ring, and they return to the Shire. And they find it burnt down, destroyed, changed forever. So they set to work rebuilding it. They begin the difficult work of rebuilding what once was. When Isaiah proclaims the good news to the poor, notice what he keeps repeating. The Lord's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord. He keeps using infinitives over and over again. He uses them seven times. And seven is the number of completeness. And it reminds us that our God is a transformational God, a God that is still working in the world. So the Jewish people, as they look at rebuilding their destroyed homes, they're reminded that God is at work, that God is rebuilding. They're reminded of the promise of a Messiah, the one who will usher in the year of the Lord's favor, who will bring good news to the poor. But they don't sit and wait for that Messiah to come. They begin the hard work of rebuilding themselves. They understand that God is a transformational God, but that God might be working through them. So they begin the difficult work. Friends, during Advent, we celebrate when the Jewish people waiting for the Messiah to come. We celebrate waiting for the Christ child to be born. But at the same time, we look forward to the time when Christ's work will be complete, when Christ will come again. But Isaiah and the Jewish people from their return to exile reminds us that we shouldn't just sit on our hands and wait. That we should wait actively. That we should remember we worship a transformational God, a God who is at work in the world we should remember that God is working through us. As we wait for the time when Christ will come and, and God's kingdom will reign here on earth, remember that we have a role to play. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And remember, we are called to further that kingdom, to work while we wait. We're called to play a role in God's transformation of this world. To make it better. Yes, we're called to wait patiently. We're called to watch for that light in the darkness. But we're called also to move towards that light. To be active in the redemption and the restoration of our broken world. 
So friends, as we prepare ourselves to be active participants in God's plan, let us remember what Christ laid before us at his table. And as we prepare to gather around this table, let us remember that this is the Lord's table. It is not the table of the United Parishabui, the Presbyterian Church, the United Church of Christ, but it's the Lord's table, and it's He that invites us, and it's He that welcomes us. And all are welcome around this table. As we prepare to approach the table, let us pray. Almighty God, You created this world wonderful and beautiful and majestic. You created the seas and the skies and the mountains and the deserts. You created the creatures of the air and the ocean and the land. Above all, you created us special in your image. You called us to be your people. You entered into relationship with us. Time and again, we turned away from you. We broke the covenant which which we had agreed to. And you called us to repent. You called us to return. But we are a stubborn, broken people. In the fullness of time, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, and in Him we saw what humanity could be. We saw your love personified. Your grace. And He taught among us. And He preached among us. And He healed among us. And His ministry carried Him to the cross. Although we will share in His death, because of it, we also have the promise that we will share in His resurrection. You sent the Holy Spirit to lift us up, to sustain us, to call us to follow You. Help us to follow you and to participate in your transformative work. Help us to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives. Help us to make this the year of the Lord. Help us to do these things as we pray, come Lord Jesus and wait till he comes again. For we pray this in his holy name. Amen.